0: Hey everybody, welcome to Just for Variety. Today is November 10th, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. I know it's been a while since we've posted a new episode. As many of you know, my mom passed away in September after she was under hospice care for six months. I needed some time away from work and some time to recharge. I want to thank all of you who reached out with messages of condolences. I truly felt all the love. But now I'm back and so excited for this week's guest. Russell Tovey. We all first fell in love and lust with him when he played Jonathan Groff's love interest on HBO's Looking. Now, Tovey is starring in American Horror Story, New York City. He plays a closeted NYPD officer investigating the murders and disappearances of several gay men during the early days of the AIDS epidemic. During our chat from his London home, Tovey opens up about coming out as gay so early in his career his American horror story, Sex Scenes, and what happened when he was told if he wanted to make it in Hollywood, he would have to pin back his ears. But before we get to Mr. Tovey, let's take a look at this week's Just For Variety column. Chloe Bailey campaigning to play x Men's Storm? After the singer dressed as a superhero for Halloween, she earned all sorts of support on social media, including a message on Twitter from the original Storm Halle Berry exclaiming, she's taking it. I've always wanted to be a superhero and she's my favorite one. So you can fill in the blanks, Bailey tells me. She's just so fierce and sexy and strong, all of the things I want to be. And she's beautiful at the same time. And she doesn't take any shit. Funnily enough, Bailey's sister, Halle, told me in September at D23 that she'd
1: also love to play Storm. 18
0: plus. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm talking to Russell Tovey. He stars in Ryan Murphy's American Horror Story, New York City. The cast also includes Joe Montello, Charlie Carver, and Zachary Quinto. This installment of the AHS anthology takes place in New York City during the early days of the AIDS epidemic. Tovey plays a closeted cop investigating the murders of several gay men. The show is a sexy horror thriller that has not only me, but all of my friends buzzing, especially when they see Toby in leather gear. Here's Russell Toby.: Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I know it's not morning where you are, but it's very morning where I am. Oh, yeah. It's 2.30 here. Yeah, it's 7.30 in the morning here. How's that? Whoa. Well done. I got showered, I walked the what? dog and we fed the tie dog.
2: On. Yeah, winning.
0: Yeah, I have my bow tie on. It's my work drag. I have I to love. It <laughs> I love your word drag.
2: <laughs> oh, shush. Doing the podcast. I'll keep it down.
0: I got mine too, locked away. One of them decides he's just a crybaby now and he just sits there and cries. I'm You're like... Awesome. He's about 12. I'm like, what do you want me to do for you?
2: <laughs> it's, the worst. it's the worst when they sort of want something, but you can't work out what it is. And they just look at you and you're like, what is it? What? Tell me to speak. I won't tell anyone. <laughs>
0: it's like, and there's a and there's a moment where you're like, maybe they will speak. Yeah. Maybe okay. they be will. Yeah, a
2: little secret. I'm not gonna, I won't tell anyone, I promise. We could just have conversations, me and you. It's totally cool.
0: Well, Russell, I'm so happy to meet you. I've been a fan for a very long time. Um, Really started with looking because what a groundbreaking show that was. Um, And now, American Horror Story. Uh, What do you say? I love it. It freaks me out. Why do I love it? Um, Because it's. It speaks to so many things. There are so many things going on. I'm trying to figure out who Big Daddy is. Is Big Daddy just AIDS? Is Big Daddy just homophobia? Is Big Daddy real? Is Big Daddy not real? Um, So it's just, it's, it's this incredible, um, incredible series. So congratulations on all of it. Thank you very, very
2: much. I've, I've, uh, It's always lovely when people talk about looking. That was one of the jobs that meant so much to me, and I was so happy when I was making that. Um, Coming into the first season, well, I I originally screen tested alongside Jonathan Groff for the Patrick role, Mm -hmm. Um, and we were in LA for two days, and I would go in with uh, a Dom and an Augustine, and then he would go in with a different dominant augustine we'd go back and forth back and forth and then i didn't um the thing is when you do screen tests you probably know this but people listening um you sign up to the show so if they say you've got the job you're automatically locked into a contract it's like if you did a screen test you're going to do this so i'd already signed up so i left la and there's a time difference and i hadn't heard anything and i was calling my agent going like have you heard anything yet Have they made a decision he was like no I was back in London. In the middle of the night, I got up to have a pee in the middle of the night. Maybe that's TMI. And I checked my phone. I went on Twitter and it said, Jonathan Groff is playing Patrick in HBO's new pilot Looking, And I was like, oh, fuck. And I heard about the fact that I didn't get the job via Twitter. It was really gutting. So Andrew Haig uh, messaged me and said, look, blah, 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 blah. We like you, uh, obviously. If it goes to series, we'll write something for you. And you hear that all the time. Every time you like, and you you hope you hold on to that sort of, you know, kernel of hope. And I didn't really think much of it. I didn't have any expectations. And then they said the show had been picked up for a series. And I saw that again on Twitter. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, what's going to happen now? And then, true to his word, uh, I got a casting come through and said they want you to audition to play the boss, Kevin. So all right, and I said, do you want they want you American? Go in and do that. So I was all right. So I went and did um, a cut, put myself on tape, did it all American and I walked out of the room and then I went, hang on a minute. And I walked back in and I went, have I still got time? And the guy was like, yeah. I said, let me just do a British one. I said, cause I know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go home. They're gonna say, oh, can we see you do it in a British accent? <laughs> so I did the British accent I sort of went, oh, well, hello, Patrick, how are you? Good, it's good to see you, Patrick. Anyway, take care sort of stuff, left then they came back and they were like we love the bread we love the bread and I was like oh shit so i went into season 1 of looking, and i was um recurring so i wasn't a regular and i remember my agent at the time was like just make them fall in love with you so they have to make you a regular and i was like okay so i was determined i was like i'm going to make this character and it, you know and a lot of it was improv and improv is really my wheelhouse i love improv so the way that it was written it was there was they were beautifully Crafted scenes, they allowed space for improvisation. So I, I I jumped into them spaces. That's somewhere where I thrive. So they like me, and and you know, and, and as the show was going on, my characters becoming more present in Patrick's life. And then season two, they were like, Let's make it regular. So I was like, sign me up for years. And Then we had season two, and then they were like, well, that's it it's done <laughs> it's like, oh, no. <laughs> god i was i was ready to spend five years in san francisco i was having the time of my life i was living at a friend's house in the castro i was like i made loads of mates there i loved it uh and then they said we're gonna do the film and i i was doing a play on broadway i was doing um uh, a view for the bridge arthur miller's a view from the bridge and I, my hair was blonde because i was bright blonde so then when i came back for the film i suddenly had this blonde hair And I was like, how are we going to explain this? And I said, well, you know, Kevin's had a breakdown. He's that bit older. That's what every gay man does at a certain age. They dye their hair blonde.
0: Uh, Oh, Russell, Russell. Are you you blonde? I dyed my hair blonde.
1: (laughs) I can't see
0: probably on the Zoom. No, no, no. See, this is, this is white.
2: Just the tips, just the tips though,
0: right? Frosting. No, no. My husband is a hair colorist and we went on for a while. I hate you right now. Well, you, you must
2: be having a breakdown because that's what I sort of said about my character. So then I came back and did the film and then it's one of them shows that I can watch as a fan and love it, even though I'm in it. I can see myself, but I can absolutely see the world and I'm obsessed with everybody in it and the story. And, you know, Lauren Weedman, I think is so underrated who played Doris. I think she's just incredible. And she's been on my podcast, Toolkart, and she makes incredible artworks and she's an amazing person. You know, the cast, like Raul Castillo is phenomenal. Obviously, the Groff, Jonathan Groff is a legend, Murray Bartlett, like soaring right now. Why can't I just bring it back? It'd be amazing to bring it back, but it's the sort of show that people discover now and they message me and... It's like they, they didn't know it was there. And it's like this whole thing. They're like, I've just watched it all in one go. And is there any more? And why isn't it around? And people used to corner me in the gyms and go like, Kevin's a douche. Kevin shouldn't be doing that to Patrick. And other people be like, oh, Patrick's such a pussy. Why can't he just man up? That's what men do. And it was like, I would mean, get into these debates about it, like team Kevin, <laughs> uh, team Richie sort of conversations. And it was, it was just magic. Absolutely magic. The feeling I had making that, I feel, felt the same on, rarely on jobs. I felt it on a show I did called Years and Years, which was a Russell T Davies season, series, mini series. And I felt it on this season of American Horror Story. It's, I don't know what it is. I was talking to someone earlier about it, but it feels like a kind of warm hug when you're making something that you really believe in, you're really passionate about. It feels like it's saying something and doing something. And you get a moment of like, um, calmness, but also real pride in your work. And
0: I've, I've had that. I have a few an times. idea for you. I have an idea. Yeah. I've talked to Murray Bartlett about this, but not yeah. in the looking aspect, but it just hit me. So I've spoken to Murray saying that they should do a prequel series for White Lotus on how Murray Bartlett's character, you know, goes through his recovery, blah, blah, blah. The prequel could be Murray and all the looking boys for White Lotus and all the looking boys go to see Murray, you know, he's become the manager of some resort and you, all you boys come and it's just, a that's what it is. Obviously it's, playing different characters. Yes. But we yeah. could call it. What,
2: is it like, is it like a, an AA weekend thing where you go and. Like a, um, yeah, then- NA, <laughs> a, a, a SA weekend.
0: Yeah, okay, Russell knows, Russell knows. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've got, I can understand the concept of what that would be. Like a retreat, like the White Lotus, but for, yes. he's running it because he's in recovery and he's yes. meeting like-minded. I mean, it's a great idea. I'd love it. I don't know if, yeah, I mean, I like the idea. I don't want to poo-poo it, but I don't know if it, if it feel a bit gimmicky if we're all there playing different people. I would much rather that they just went. Let's do another season of looking, guys. That would be cool. And then,
0: where where would you be in your breakdown? What color hair would you have in the next? Oh, I'd be completely bald. It'd be shaved (laughs) off. It would be a full beard. He'd
2: be living in the woods, gone off grid, no internet.
0: Uh, One of those big, like, daddy
2: fairies with, like, yeah, daddy fair, big time. And he's just like, it's gone from full digital then to straight to analog. There is no, like, in between. He's off the grid completely. And then Patrick turns up and he stinks. And Patrick's like, what's happened to you? And he tries to kiss, That Kevin tries to kiss him. Patrick's like, brush your teeth. He's like, I've been brushing my teeth on wood, on bark, you know, one of them ones. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs>
0: um, let me ask you, you know you, you're starting out in your career. You're this out actor. Um, I am a man of a certain generation. I'm a little older than you. Um, we didn't have actors such as you being out. A uh, show like looking was not even I can't even say like, oh, it was a, it it was a dream when I was coming out to see a show like looking. It just wasn't even something that you could imagine. Was there a time when you were starting your career where, you know, your team or whomever said to you, like, Russell, you don't want to do that? Yeah, you of course. Know. Yes, a lot.
2: I, had, I mean, I had a few things. Um, someone said to me, if you want to make it in Hollywood, you've got to pin your ears back. And I remember being like,
0: wait a minute. Wait, okay. I wasn't going to mention your ears because I thought that would be creepy. You have the best fucking ears. Pin your ears back. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be Russell. I know. Tell me about it. They're my, they're my trademark. It's, um, yeah.
2: I've never had an issue with my ears. I've been called all the names under the sun. Dumbo, Takeoff, Wingnut, they called me here, which people in America don't know, but it's just a type of, of bolt that has little wings on it. F.A. Cup. Someone said a little like a car with the doors left open, a shoebox with wings. I've had a lot of things, but it's never affected me because I always knew that they were my trademark. They, they're they what made me kind of uh, unique. That was my USP, you know, and we've been filming in Dumbo recently and I find it quite triggering to be in Dumbo because it takes me back to being called Dumbo at school. But anyway, I knew, I knew when that person told me that, I knew I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. And then when I got, you know, Uh, people said, don't come out, don't do it, it will affect your career. I remember thinking, I'm hearing you, thank you very much, I appreciate your advice, but I'm going to do this because this feels authentic to me, this feels important to me, it feels important to my life outside of my pretend life of playing all these characters. I have to have the stability to know who I am outside of this. If you get too caught up in this world and you're playing all these parts, And you don't really know who you are in real life and you're only sort of going from job to job which i was at that time and i have been for many years then you can kind of get really screwed up and i think i had the wherewithal earlier on to go no this is who i am and my real life has to be as important as my pretend life so i did it i don't know you know if you had a sliding doors macro version of my life if i hadn't come out at that age or i'd never come out what would my career be now? I don't know, but I don't regret it on any level because my career has taken me somewhere really exciting. And I've played so many queer guys, queer characters that have brought me so much joy. And I feel like have brought a lot of people joy and changed, you know, set the dial somewhere else for people and, and a lot, I get a lot of messages of young queer people connecting to parts I've played, whoever they have been, people like Kevin who's complicated and a bit of an arse at times. They're people that have represented a lifestyle or, or, or an authentic life to live that they can show their parents or they can show their friends or they can feel comfort in themselves and go, oh, it's all right actually, well, that he's very normal and look what he's doing in his real life. It's all kind of, you know, it feels incredibly important. And we're in a charmed time right now. Everything is there's so much content. It's phenomenal. And I feel so excited and, like, again, calmed for the new generations coming up, that they get to see themselves on screen like that, on it's such a mainstream way. Have you watched Heartstopper?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, incredible. In- I... I- I saw the trailer, I saw the trailer on Twitter and I said, what is this? I didn't know about the graphic novels. I said, what is this? What is this? And I contact Netflix and I'm like, guys, what is this? And why don't I know more about it? Listen, I'm not the only gay journalist in Hollywood, but when it comes to gay content, I get pitched a lot because they know who I am. And I'm like, what is this? I need to know about this. And they sent me the screeners and I just cried. Mm. I cried. I couldn't believe that I was watching this queer love story of young people. And I'm not talking, you know, we're not talking about young people in their 20s. And to see that queer joy. Yeah, joy just pure joy. And, you know, and, and they'll say, and, and they'll say that, you know, it's a show about joy. It doesn't, not everything has to be complete trauma when it comes to yeah. being queer. Yeah. Um, and I said it to all the actors. I, you know, I, I've said it to Alice, you know, th- those shows like looking save lives. I don't, and I don't say that lightly. I say that with, with, with all my heart and, and I say that to you as a show-like looking, you know, I was way out of a closet when I'm looking came out, but there are people who are watching it for the first time are literally saying, I'm not, wait, I'm not alone.
2: Yes. Yeah. You've just given me goosebumps. It's, um, imagine if we had that content when we were younger.
0: I mean, I, can, I can't, I can't, I, I honestly, yeah. I, I And I come from a very gay family. My mom, my late mom was a lesbian. She had two brothers who both died of AIDS. Um, You know, very very intense, but a very gay family. But still, you know, for a generation of they were all closeted. So, you know, when I was a kid, I don't even know where I looked for me. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like a lot of us, you know, I turned to, I wanted to be a musical theater kid. That's where, because my body, this is so not where I thought our interview was going, but we're going there. But in musical theater and taking dance class, it allowed me my, literally my body to open up and say, I don't know how to put it. It's like, I couldn't, Verbally say it. A dance. It's it's just a freedom. It's a comfort.
1: You
2: know, I went drama clubs from the age of 10, drama, singing, dance all day Saturday, all day Sunday, nights during the week. I went to senior school. Senior school was fine. But whenever at school, I went to my church. Do you know what I mean? I went to my place where I felt completely spiritually connected to everyone around me and everything that was happening as a kid and this freedom and no judgment. And all it was, was just encouragement to be creative and, you know, be, be loud and be take up space and be who you're meant to be. And, you know, kiss boys, kiss girls. I remember I had, I fell in love with my first kind of crush when I was 13 at drama club. I loved him so much. And it was so exhilarating and so heartbreaking. And it was Heartstoppers. It was basically that sort of situation where I was sort of in denial. And I remember once I, I went out with him, there was, there was three main boys there at this drama club. There was me and two others. I'm not gonna do names. And there was a girl and I used to date her. Then she'd dump me and she'd date one of the other boys. Then they would break up. There'll be tears everywhere. Then another boy would date her. And then we'd sort of all do, all do the rounds, but she would go between all of us. Now, cut to now, I'm gay, the other two boys are gay and she's a lesbian. So what a waste of time that was, but we were all we were all just like just I had this absolute theater kids have this freedom of expression and this it's safe space and this way of being that is so unique and special and when I meet a theater, a theater kid I'm like I see myself completely as they are. I get it.
0: So let's get back to um American Horror Story. How did the pitch come to you? Did they send you a script? Do you get a log line? Um, how, how how do they even say, okay, this is what it's about?
2: So I was working with Joe Mantello. We were doing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when the lockdown kicked in. We did nine previews on stage. Laurie Metcalf, Rupert Everett, Passy Ferran. Then it shut down. Uh, and me and Joe stayed in contact and we were talking about like, when's it going to come back? And then, you know, as like two years went on, it was like, I don't think it is going to come back, but I love Joe. Joe messaged me and said, "Um, there might be a project coming up. Are you free over the summer? And I was like, "Uh, uh, I think so. I had a few things on, but I was like, I think so. I think I could probably make it free. And then suddenly Ryan Murphy DM'd me on Instagram and said, Hey, uh, I've got a role for you. Give me a call gave me his number so I called him and he didn't pick up I was like hmm and then I messaged Joe and I said Ryan Murphy's just DM'd me he said that might be the project I can't tell you what it is I was like okay then Ryan called me back and I was just sat near King's Cross Station in London I'd just come back from somewhere and I was sat in a vegetarian restaurant which you need to know because I'm vegetarian lovely food uh and he called me and was like hey I thought, like, hi he said um so uh have you heard of American Horror Story and I'm like yeah he said, yeah, um, I've got a great role for you in it. Uh, it's going to be based on cruising, Al Pacino. So it's kind of like the Al Pacino role. Um, how would you feel about doing that? Are you free? And I was like, uh, um, my God, yeah, I can make myself free. I can I can do that. It's like, great. And then we talked for about 15 minutes about art. So we talked about American Horror Story for about a minute and a half. And then we talked then about Art, his art collection, artists we loved, you know queer artists of the 80s and 90s a lot of artists that were lost that are now being rediscovered because there's a whole there's a lot of themes that me and ryan share in our taste for artists and especially artists that died of aids and were overlooked in their lifetime and kind of reasserting them into the canon is something that's really important to me and exciting Mm. so we talked about that and then i put the phone down and i was like did that phone call actually happen so i messaged joe and i said it's american horror story isn't it and he said yeah are you available can you do it and i was like I think so, yeah. I sort of just walked home and I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, you're so, you don't know anyway. So I called my agent she's like, oh, great. So what are you doing a couple of episodes, an episode? I said, I think it's the whole thing. She was like, really? I said, yeah. So I didn't see a script until I got on the plane. And then I got a script I was like, fucking hell, what is this? I'm like, got a really amazing role in this. And then I got to the studio and then I saw the call sheet with everybody's name. And I'm number one on the call sheet. And when you see the credits on the first name that come up and I was like, what the fuck is happening? What the hell is going on here? And then I was like, shit. Then we were filming and there was no sort of like, right, well, what do you think your character is? There's no table reads. He doesn't want any table reads. There's not much talking. You just go out and do it. And John Gray, amazing John Gray director, like one of the showrunners on it. I adore him. He's a legend and a genius. He, and again, another art enthusiast, he came up to me and said, "Um, I like your acting, but I've listened to every episode of Talk Art," And I was like, which is my arts podcast. And I was like, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that, you know, I'm at this stage now where I've been an actor all my life, the the hustle and the bustle of everything. And then you sort of do an arts podcast. And that's the thing that gets people's attention. Like, so you never know. And Joe Mantello told me this story once how he was in London. He directed Wicked and he was in London watching the cast here to give notes and everything. He yes, to travel around and see all the companies. And he was about to direct um, Who's Fred Virginia Woolf? And they didn't have a Nick. And I did a show here called Bake Off, which I think is quite cult following in America. And it was for Stand Up to Cancer. It was like a, a special. And I only did it because my mum is a big fan and I get asked to do all those reality shows. And this was one she was like, please, please do it. <laughs> and they had a spin-off called Extra Slice where people would go on and wh- whoever got kicked off on that week on the regular uh, bake off would go on this reality TV show and make a cake and we'd all sort of talk about what happened in the in the tent that day <laughs> and joe was in his hotel room and he turned on the TV and Extra Slice bake off extra slice was on I was there eating cake and he was like Oh, hang on a minute. And he called up the producer and he was like, how about Russell Tovey for Nick? And they were like, good idea. And then I got offered. So I got offered, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and Broadway? Because I had done Extra Slice, Bake Off, reality TV show, like like (laughs) trash here, like fun, just like basic entertainment here. And you never know. And it made me go, fucking hell, you never ever know how these things happen. And, you know, and because of that, that me doing that one show made Joe cast me in that, which made Joe, I think, Joe Mantello, I I am obsessed with as, as a human, as a talent, as a director, everything, as an actor. He's one of the best people I've ever met. And he has really just shone his light on me and really took me under his wing and carried me with him. And because of him, it's like, I think I'm here because of him and because he sort of made, like, Ryan see stuff I'd done or, or really big me up to Ryan. And here I am, and it's... It's such a privileged place and a wonderful place to be, and I'm full of gratitude for it.
0: We're going to take a short break right now, but when Just for Variety returns, Tovi talks about slipping into a leather harness for the show, and he recalls his first trip to Fire Island. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Here's more of Russell Toby. What is it like you're on set <laughs> and you have to put on a harness in front of the casting crew? You're putting on this leather harness and getting in gear.
2: Um, what is it like? It's fine, isn't it? I mean, I, there, there's other scenes upcoming and there's stuff that's come up that's been pretty full on. Um, you know, I actually said at the beginning, I was like, I went and got my vaccine when monkeypox came up, I went and got my vaccine, because, you know, I'm making out, I've got, I'm in a relationship in the UK and, um, I don't make a habit of going out and kissing other people, but suddenly off of my job, I'm kissing right. lots of guys. And you're a bit like, oh shit, I need to go and get vaccinated. So the only place they had it was Fire Island and I'd never been. So my first ever experience of Fire Island was going to get the monkeypox
1: vaccine.
2: What? <laughs> I was like, I had the vaccine. I swam in the sea. I had some lunch. Got back on the ferry. And I was like, this is this is a lovely way to get a vaccine. Everyone should do it this way. But it was <laughs> it was a, there's a once you get over the initial like every time you do a job like I, I I always get jobs where I make out of a lot of people. I'm always having sex and stuff on screen. My mum bless her, has seen me have sex in multiple ways and she's seen me die hundreds of times. So I feel sorry for her that she's, <laughs> seen, she's seen sex and death through my eyes a lot. Um, but it's, it's fine. I mean, the crew was brilliant. Again, it's one of them jobs where everybody wanted to be there. Everybody believed in the project. There was so much support. I guess the only thing comes down to your own personal anxieties about what you look like. You know, because mm-hmm. it's quite it's very revealing and all them sort of scenes stay on the internet forever, get screen grabbed and made into memes. Ever, forever. forever. And it's like, okay, what can I do? What can I do about that? Can't do anything. It is what it is. You just gotta to commit to the role, commit to the character. And I believe, you know, Patrick, who I'm now playing, which is weird from looking being all in right. love with a Patrick and now I am a Patrick. Um, that's his truth. You know what I mean? That's that's who he that's his kink. That's his thing. He loved it. So I had to, you have to commit to it.
0: I mean, there's the there's the one scene with the one guy when you put the knife in the wall mm-hmm. and you lick his back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Russell is really committed to licking.
2: Well, that, 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 that was an actor called Zach Miser, who's awesome as well. He came on very cool uh identifies as uh heterosexual so a part of me was like ah what's how's this going to be because i would never you know we have intimacy coordinators on set now This is a new thing but my my fear and i guess anybody's fear when you do sex scenes is that the other person feels uncomfortable or taken advantage of That, that would be horrific it's never happened to me thank god but you don't want that to be in a situation, which is why there's now these precautionary people that are employed to stop that from happening. But anyway, there is an anxiety that kicks in. You go, this is a straight guy. I'm a gay guy, openly, and we're going to be kissing now. And we did it, and then his tongue slipped in, and then they cut, and he went to me. He was like, I just slipped my tongue in then. I said, yeah. He said, is that all right? I said, if it's all right with you. And he said, yeah. I went, okay, great. And then the next time we did it, I was like, this guy is up for it this guy's committed I absolutely yeah. love you this let's go for it so then we're like rah, eating each other's face tongue in each other's face at one point I thought oh, I'm gonna spit in his mouth no don't do that that's too <laughs> much I had to hold back like, well that's when that's when you get in trouble so then you know I turned him around and then I was like I'm gonna just lick his back and he was he was so committed to it and wanted it that I like so much respect for him I think he's brilliant. And you know, and he only, he only comes in for a small bit, and you think, is he the killer? No, he's not the killer. And my character thinks he is. And then he's turned on by the situation. Then we just, you, you then imagine, you know, I get the whip out, I go crazy on his back, and you just sort of imagine then what kind of continues from there. But that was like, you know, doing that in front of a crew again and going for it. I felt really safe, mm-hmm. and he felt safe, and that that's the best environment to make them sort of decisions. And I, I know myself and. Joe Mantello said it as well. He's like, you know, we have so much intimacy and we have to coordinate there. And we both say to him, there is nothing that Joe can do right now. And he said, there's nothing that Russell could do right now that's going to upset me, offend me, make me feel uncomfortable. We're in this together. We're committed. We care and respect about each other. So let's go for this and make this the best it can be.
0: Hmm. Why do you think people want to watch shows like American Horror Story, where there's really nothing? that
2: much joy in the story it's an interesting question why would you want to watch something that has got much joy well i mean thrillers and horrors are you know the bedrock of entertainment we like it's halloween we love to be scared we love you know one of the things that i've discovered as a kid which i used to do ouija boards as a kid we used to draw them and put a glass over and say the rhyme, and then just absolutely shit itself and think of being haunted, and then discovering that you guys over there have a board game that's actually made that you can get from a toy shop—that's yep. a Ouija board. That I remember blew my mind as a kid. I can't believe that that's a thing, but it's obviously embedded in us. Is this folklore? Is horror? Is the the worst? You know what can humanity do? What's humanity been through? It's a fascination. We're obsessed with witches because of the darkness. We're obsessed with vampires and goblins and trolls and werewolves because everybody's full of dark and dark and light. We have good stuff. We have bad stuff. Everyone has thoughts that creep into their mind. Everyone has positive things that they put out in the world. We're all, we all have these things. So, you know, it's part of the human condition. And for some reason, we want to see... The dark side of the moon. We want we have a fascination with what the fuck is under that rock. You right. know, you want to lift it up. So this show is also, you know, so heavily rooted in folklore, in stories, storytelling. They've been handed down. Witches is such a fascinating time in history, witch hunting, warlock hunting. What you know, and and the, and again, you know the the metaphors of witch hunting during the McCarthy era, all the, all these sort of things, they all play into the psyche of America, or they all play into the psyche of, you know, Eurocentric history. This kind of, it's scary. It's scary. What was that? What is that? And this is what the show taps into on on every season. But what we have with this season is we have these elements. We, as you saying, we have Big Daddy. We have this killer on the loose. We have lots of things. But the biggest horror of everything is AIDS. So outside of everything, AIDS, what was more and what is more and what has been more cruel and terrifying for the world, especially for our community, than AIDS, the fear of that. And this is a show that's post-Stonewall, pre-AIDS New York, at a time when there's a freedom and and there's, you know, right to be a maid and broken and then, like, fought for. But there is a potential for freedom. Mm. And then, bang, AIDS comes in. And it's like it absolutely decimates and breaks the spirit and destroys the community. The community rallies. But it's we all have inherited trauma now because of what we've gone through. Is anybody coming up? And coming out they have to know their history but for my generation your generation you is like especially you were saying about you because you've been so close to AIDS we have an inherited trauma when you come out I think my mum was like I'm worried you're going to get AIDS and die that's just what it is but now we have a generation where there's been we're able to talk about that time period in history as something that is the past it isn't so present making a show like this. 10 years ago impossible. People were still dying. You can, do you know what I mean? It's like now we've got prep. We've in a situation medically where there is a safety net. People are living positive, they're undetectable, they can have absolutely exactly the same life as anyone else. If they're if they're negative, they can go on prep, they can absolutely protect themselves. We're in we've had enough time now to recognize that there is a world without AIDS. So we can really explore this art form, Mm. this period in history. But it is it is triggering and traumatizing, and I have noticed a lot of people have been like, "This is a hard fucking watch," but they yeah. always are. It's a sin. Come out. That was a hard fucking watch, and that was, you know, uh, a lot, a lot amazing. Yeah, a lot. Uh, a lot of aids shows. A lot of aids like themed pieces have been very America centric. Hmm. You know, uh, growing up, normal heart angels in America, of course. These shows have Philadelphia. These shows have all been. And the American story. We haven't really had the British story. We had Freddie Mercury, who died. That was a big deal, but we haven't had it. And then it's a sing come out, and now we have our British AIDS narrative. We're seeing it, and it was so powerful. I could cry now thinking about it. It was, and so important, and so needed for people that don't that are starting to forget or are unaware. Yeah. that it needs to be told this is a moment in history and for our community that we have to keep telling these stories which is why that the artist that died it is so important for me to tell their stories and to represent them in some ways because we're standing on their
0: shoulders yeah so. i mean after seeing it's a sin and you know i said to i, I interviewed everyone involved and i said to russell i said i've never I've never seen something that's I don't want to say represented because that that sounds even um trite um, mm-hmm. that captured the early days of the epidemic, like it's a sin. nothing did not none of the American projects, nothing captured it. He did it so i I hate to say even say brilliantly because i'm that that makes it sound like. uh, Yeah, like you. I mean, I was brought to tears. I just cried. My husband and I sat on the couch and just cried. Yeah, just cried. Um, So let's talk about um, one
2: little fact on that that he said to me that made me cry. Now thinking about it, I I did. um, They had a screening in some at the New York uh, space, and, and I did a Zoom interview i kind of chaired an interview and russell said that the character richie tozer which is who ollie plays he said that was based on my name russell tovey rt he said he wanted to find someone who was like an actor in it who who was kind of open and happy and you know and he thought of me and so he said that he named richie tozer after me russell tovey which (laughs) exactly which blew my mind which was just the most, I was like, after that, I was like, I can't even do this interview anymore.
0: That's just beyond. Like, I mean, the hairs on my arms are standing up. That's just, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have another book coming out. I do, yeah. So we had Talk Art Book One that was out yeah. during the pandemic
2: and we yeah. were a Sunday Times bestseller here, which was incredibly exciting for an art book is sort of unheard of, apparently. David Hockney had the last one. So we're pretty... Uh, pretty pretty confident pretty big-headed about that so we've done uh, our second book comes out uh, May next year and this one is uh, the interviews so we've curated a really nuanced uh, beautiful selection of interviews of some of the best most moving and dial changing and informative and fascinating interviews that we've had and created Mm -hmm. Uh, this book around them and 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 the references that they go into. And so everybody loves reading interviews. I mean, I, I love reading interviews. I'm obsessed with them. So it felt
0: like the natural kind of next step. Russell, I'm so jealous of you because <clears throat> you know I was an art history minor in college. I was journalism major, art history minor. So art has always been something I've been drawn to, but I never know and have never known what to do with it. Mm. Like, I feel like, and you've you've probably heard this. It's like, I'm too scared of not knowing enough. Mm -hmm. So who am I? But I Mm -hmm. will tell you, you know, when I go into a museum, when, when I look at art, all I want to do is get as close as possible to it. And see the brush stroke. Because that, or, or, you know, I, I'm very drawn to multimedia collage. I mm. want to see the glue that's holding it together, knowing that there was an artist with his or her hand putting that glue or putting that. Do you, where are you?
2: Are you in New York? Los Angeles. Oh, you're in Los Angeles. Do you know an, uh, an artist uh, who died called Joe Brainard?
0: No. No.
2: He's got a solo up at Tibor Denaghi Gallery in New York. Uh, okay. He was an artist that was part of the scene around the same time as like Peter Hujar and David Wojnarowicz. Mm-hmm. And he's again been sort of overlooked. Arch Connolly, that sort of, that generation. Right. And they've got to show up in the minute, but he makes a lot of collage works and cut mm-hmm. out pieces. I think you'll really like his work. Uh, but I know what you mean it's you know when we started Rob who's my podcast partner was saying like who, who, who what are we doing we shouldn't we're not allowed to be doing this and so many people be right. like why are you doing this and you shouldn't be you should only be talking to artists and you shouldn't be talking to celebrities you shouldn't be talking to people who aren't in the art world it has to be really I was like no but the whole point that makes it really exclusive we're not exclusive right. we're inclusive we're going to have no hierarchy we're going to put these interviews out And we're not saying this interview is more important because this artist is famous than this artist is just emerging it's about a conversation of art with everybody because art is for everyone it's all there for us artists want to connect to everybody they're not just making it the best artist they're not just making it for you know rich collectors to put in a vault they're making it because they can't because words aren't enough so they make art so they can get it out there Mm. and people listen to it and now like my mum listens to every single episode and she'd call me up and be like oh I like that one and I know that we did well because it's connected and I'll start going around museums now with my mum and the like the last year and a half two years I've noticed it and she'd be like oh I like that that reminds me of that artist you had on because they like them don't they and they knew that I know that they knew it. and she's she's making links with art history with contemporary art with you know what these artists are referencing why they use a certain medium what the surface means on that one she's built a voc- an art vocabulary. And now that my parents are buying art, they, they kind of go out my my mom's got, I got this because it reminded me of this. Or I, I listened to that one and I went to that gallery and I said, have you got any of this available? And they've shown me this, what do you think? And I'd be like, mum, this is amazing. <laughs> amazing. And I'm like, That's that is the audience and that's not patronizing to my mum. That's nice. just like, that's who we're connecting to. And on top of that, within the art world, who we do want to impress, they are impressed. They are listening. But for the for everybody else, it's completely like involving. It's completely accessible and non academic, non hierarchical. It's just
0: a celebration. Oh, I love that! And last question for you. I know I'm keeping you over time. Um, the one role you would love to play one day is there an an established role? Is it a superhero? Is it a Shakespeare role? Russell Tovey, your agent, your manager comes to you and says. Someone has just come to us with a shitload of money. You could play whatever you want. What would
2: that be? Uh, Well, I know know what it is.
0: And I'm not
2: going to say because I don't want to jinx it, but I'm hoping it will be something that can be discussed further soon. (laughs) But that is sort of, there is something bubbling, hopefully. I got asked, Ryan Ryan Murphy asked me, we was was out for dinner one night, and he said, who do you want to work with? And I was kind of stumped and I felt really kind of in the moment, quite shaken and like, come on, Russell, think of a fucking name. You <laughs> of My mind went completely blank. And I sort of said, I-, I like Emma Stone. And he was like, yeah, I like Emma Stone. And I was like, yeah. And I thought, why am I? I mean, I do like Emma Stone, but I'm like, why am I? I can't- couldn't think of anything in the moment. I wasn't like, oh. And I went away and I was kicking myself. And I said, no, because that's not how I think. I don't think about, I want to work with that c- actor. I think, I want to play this part. I want to do this scene. And I went back to him. I said, I'm, I came back with a really kind of simple response to your question. And I feel like I could have been more articulate in that moment. I said, I don't think like that. I think about what scenes I want to play. And I want to do everything that explores the domestic. I love mother son relationships. I love love. I love emotion. I love scenes where there's turmoil, where you've got to fucking rescue someone who you're completely in love with or rescue someone that you hate to death. But in that moment, you choose good over... evil. I mean, I lo- that, that's how I think about my work. I don't think about, I want to step up and work with that person. I mean, you do, obviously. But, but in my head, I think about scenes and I think about emotions. And that's what drives me forward constantly with parts. I go, is this something I've not done before? Is this something that's going to make me feel happy? to play and that is my mo constantly and I've it's, it's taken me like a few years to work out that that's what it is is that i'm drawn to character i'm drawn to dialogue you know I, I read scripts and within the first two pages i know if i'm going to do it or not because it might be a simple interaction where someone goes hi you go hi how are you fine sure yeah and for me i'm like well that's none of that they mean everything is like the listening, everything in that is the subtext. That's interesting to me. That's more interesting to me than, you know, something where someone goes, how are you? Oh, you know, I'm just like feeling. I like to play what's
0: not being said. I love listening.
2: That's the best acting.
0: Russell, this was amazing. I'm so glad we got to meet. Me um, <laughs> and uh, hopefully the next time it could be in person. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, this was awesome. And um, congr- again, congratulations on American Horror Story. Um, I know, um, you know, people are watching it. I'm talking to my friends about it. Um, and it's just it's it's you know, it's it's prompting so many questions, um, which is great. We're not watching this story where it's like, oh, we know what's happening. Many times we don't know what's happening. Then we know what's happening. And that's what's incredible about it. I swore I'd
2: never go on Twitter for this. I succumbed. I fell into the rabbit hole of it. Uh-huh. Out of fascination and ego and everything, I guess. And a lot of people are ready to crap on American Horror Story now. There's been some seasons where people were unhappy with them. They weren't, you know, they feel like it's dropped off the, the ledge. It's not really connecting anymore. People have got lots of, lots of very vocal. Visceral emotions and feelings towards this show, so we're going into it with that. And I've noticed now that we're halfway through how we have won over so many people, and how so many people are saying like this isn't the American story horror story that we're used to or expecting. But they are invested, and they can't. Some people are kind of frustrated at themselves that they are into it so much because they wanted (laughs) shit all over it because that's what people do. People shit on things they love. And, yeah, this no, yeah. year, and this year i feel like we're winning people over and, and word of mouth is really building and i feel like people are connected to it and i'm frustrating so many people back here in the uk and europe because we haven't got it yet it has to go out in america then it drops as a box set on disney plus so people are like can you stop posting all these effing photographs what the uh-huh. hell is going on can you send me the links i need to see it and i'm like we're gonna have to wait sorry but i've got to do the promo but it's 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 really, you know, thank God it's, you know, connecting to people yeah. in so many ways on so many levels. And as, as a fan of that period of history, uh, as I'm sure you are, things like Klaus Nomi and Robert Maplethorpe and Sam Wagstaff and mm. Larry Kramer and all of these, you know, Andy Warhol kind of is what Dennis O'Hare sort of looks like. You know, all of these elements of, pop culture and world history and queer history and American queer history, all in there, it's such a little, like the little Easter eggs of, of joy that you find peppered throughout, as well as being an incredibly entertaining show and Sandra Bernhardt's in it and Patty Lepone, And <laughs> it's just like Zach Quinto, Isaac Powell's amazing, Charlie Carver's a genius. It's just like, I don't wanna, have I missed anyone out now? Uh, no, uh, Joe, obviously Joe Mantello is like, my hero. It's just, it's been the best thing ever. And we we spent some time in Fire Island and we all lived in a house together, all the actors, uh. which would be unheard of, like, and could have been horrific. I'm um, Leslie Grossman. I'm obsessed with as well. She is heaven. Um, it was just the most joyful experience. Mm. And... We were all so connected and so queer and happy to be doing this project that it was, was, yeah, it was one what I started off at the beginning saying it was one of these kind of pride cuddles where you just feel really
0: thankful for where you're at. I know um, your team's gonna kill me because I have to ask one more question now Um, and then I promise I'll stop. is there a part of you, especially with your, with, with, with your, you know, your, your investment in art, is there a part of you that's set that, I don't know jealous is the right word, but like, I think about it, like I look at a Mapplethorpe photo and I'm like, God, I wish I had a Mapplethorpe to photograph me. You wish that he was still around to photograph you, you mean? Yeah.
2: You know? Well, I, I mean, I... I went to the Keith Haring Foundation recently and Gil uh, Vazquez, who runs it, came on talkarts. It's an amazing episode. And I walked around his old studio and I felt inspired. I just felt so sad because yeah. I thought we would have gotten really well. Right. I would fucking love to have hung out with Keith Haring. That would have just been the best. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's like these, these storytellers, these true artists, these people that changed the world, not just like art, they changed the world, were taken far too soon. How inspiring that, you know, Keith Haring died in 1990. Like 30 years later, he's even more relevant than he was. And the, and the forward thinking, he died at 30 years old, what he achieved. Mm -hmm. unbelievable and i feel a a connection to him so much he's like alive for me Mm -hmm. that yeah so even though they're past they're so alive they're even more alive than some people that are are alive do you know what i mean it's like it's incredible again
0: so thank you so much this was wonderful cheers and um have a wonderful afternoon i'm going to go continue my morning Uh, And uh, like I said, hopefully next time um, when we get to meet in person, it'll be in person.
2: Yeah, I'd love that. It's my a pleasure talking to you, Mark. Thank you.
0: That's it for this week's Just for Variety. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your breaking and exclusive Hollywood news, go to Variety.com. See you soon.